Auzubillahiminashaitanirajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed In the name of Allah the gracious, the merciful Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Peace be upon you all and welcome to the, to the drive time show With myself Saad Ahmed and brother Noshirwan Today the topics in discussion are in the first segment We'll be speaking about the new year, new you And in the second hour we will be speaking about secondary education overhaul needed. But before all of this, I would I would like to welcome Brother Nashiban to the show. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. How are you? Wa alaikum salam, peace be upon you too, Saad. Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, I'm well. How are you doing today? Alhamdulillah, so far so good. It's, it's a new year. It's the second show of, of Voice of Islam, of, of, of um, the second drive time show of Voice of Islam in 2024. So I'm more excited to yep. be presenting today as a new year. And new resolutions come through, and let's see what happens. Uh, what as the time um, progresses, or um, in in the next couple of months. Yeah, Saad. Before we go forward, wishing all our listeners and to yourself a very blessed new year. Uh, may Allah the Almighty make this year blessed for everyone Amen. in every aspect and difficulties and all the problems that we're suffering, the world is suffering. May Allah remove them and make a swift change into peace. Amen. Amen. Indeed, you know. Um, this year, uh, the whole, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that a better resolution comes through. A more peaceful world can be established in the year 2024. But as we bid farewell to 2023, we once more encounter the timeless question of what the new year holds and contemplating the resolutions. We wish to make for the changes ahead, but then February arrives and we are not sure anymore. From an Islamic perspective, the arrival of each new year promotes Muslims to contemplate how effectively they are fulfilling the purpose of life. The Holy Quran describes the purpose of life as the following. I have not created the jinn and the men, but that they may worship me. Chapter 51 verse 57. So today we are diving into the timeless question of New Year's resolution. Can a new calendar really bring about a reinvented version of ourselves. So join us today as we discuss and develop into the concept of New Year's resolution, the pursuit of a new me and discuss some realistic goals, mindsets to adopt for the year 2024. Yep, very interesting topic for the first hour. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of people tend to set their resolutions. Um, but of course, we'll be speaking, looking at the Islamic perspective. What does Islam teach us about, um, of course, have, reforming yourself in terms of that? Uh, obviously, setting resolution, it's, it's good in a way because you keep an eye out on how you're improving throughout the year. Uh, but it shouldn't be just that you set further goals but not reflect upon your previous year. Indeed. Um, you need to kind of reflect on the previous year. How have you moulded yourself in the past year and how can you improve yourself? Of course, Islam, it focus, you sh- the focus of Islam is on reforming yourself, making yourself a better person, um, not just physically but spiritually as well. Indeed. So as Muslims uh, and what Islam teaches us that we should look at our spiritual spirituality uh, first and foremost, because the way we are, uh, how our soul is nourished, mm-hmm. uh, of course, our body is going to impact from it. 
and vice versa, uh, how our physical bodies are impacted, what food we intake and what kind of exercises we do, it also affects our uh, spiritual uh, spirituality and our souls. Correct. So, Brother Nushman, before we go into a more spiritual side of the New Year's resolutions, what is the um, psychology behind New Year's resolution? Yeah, so uh, like I said, uh, making resolutions is quite simple. Correct. Um, but sticking to them is the often the hard part. Indeed. So whether it might be setting out to pursue a new career goal um, or a behave, alter to a behaviour or take out an existing challenge as the new year begins, it might seem straightforward. But despite the simplicity of these resolutions, one might mm-hmm. have a goal to improve their physical health, one might have um, a pursuit of like career in some terms of that. There are numerous factors that can contribute to the challenge, um, depending on our uh, good intentions behind them. Um, but why do we feel compelled to make the New, new Year's resolution? Well, studies um, show that just like road signs show us how far we've come, important dates like the f- changing seasons help us see the passing of time. And it is due to the fresh start effect that these moments make us step back and take a big picture uh, look at our lives. And an important point to remember that the punctuation between the previous year and the new year allows for people to reflect. They they go back, they have a look and they obviously understand uh, how much they've improved or how much they still need to improve setting these resolutions. And the main reoccurring theme when it comes to making resolutions is reflecting on the past. That's kind of like the the psychological you know, psychology behind setting your New Year's resolutions. You know, as Nashwan, you've mentioned before, also, you know, the the hard part is you know following up with the resolutions and making sure that whatever you have planned in year uh, in the month of Jan January, and you can also follow them in February, March, April, May, and so on and so forth. You know, that takes dedication in, by its in, in itself. Yep. And the dedication comes from within. I always say that, you know, the dedication for anything you want to do, it comes from within. For example, if you want to attain the nearness of Allah the Almighty, you know, in, in one of the narrations it is stated, you know, if you take if you um hand well, if you put out one hand towards Allah the Almighty, Allah will put out two two hands towards you. If you take one step towards him, Allah will take two steps towards you. If you walk towards him, he will run towards you. Yeah. And you know, but from that lesson what we can learn is that you the initiation initiation is from you from within taking that very first step so if someone has planned or already has done the resolutions okay um this in the year 2024 i'm going to be doing this that for this um this year so make sure we try it from within ourselves that to follow um over them so it doesn't happen that after a month we forget about them yeah yeah you're right and of course there's um certain popular resolutions that some people tend to set uh, which is kind of like a pattern um, every year you see um, the gyms being filled up and the gyms being filled <laughs> up and dietary plans and etc etc obviously so professor and chair of psycholo- uh, psychology at the university of Scranton, scranton john norcos has written about the science behind new year's resolutions for decades and he identified that several patterns throughout his studies um, first of which is that the most popular resolution is around physical health, like obviously we discussed, with 30, 33% of participants wanting to improve theirs, so their physical health. The second most popular category is for weight loss. Of course, this falls into the similar category, with 20% of participants wanting to slim down. 
that's something my I can adopt as well this year just <laughs> and the third resolution is the desire to change one's eating habits with 13% of participants thinking they need more greens and the remaining resolutions cover personal growth uh, which is 9% and improving one's mental health and sleep uh, which is 5% and another 20% of the remaining participants made resolutions about work school tobacco and other habits but however what he studies suggested that over the period of 6 months it is seen that the success rate of keeping the resolution it drops from 75% in the first week so obviously 25% already drop within the first week and after the uh, the set when you hit into the second week um it drops to 46% after the first 6 months wow. so i mean still it's, it's, it's a big number which drops suddenly yeah but obviously 6 months is a long period Indeed. but if i think even if you keep at it for 6 months it's more likely that your resolution turns into a habit um because once that when you when you've made a resolution you obviously stick on it for i would say even 3 4 5 months then it is likely that your resolution whether it might be eating good working out uh, improving yourself it will turn into a daily habit and then of mm-hmm. course that will be much easier for you to continue um for the rest of the year Uh, hence that's why we're asking a question on our Instagram page by the end of 2024 i would most like to so there's some answers you can give for example learn a new skill be healthier expand my knowledge overcome a fear likewise you can call us on 0208687878 and let us know what what is what is your new year's resolution and how are you going to keep it consistent in fulfilling that resolution which you have set in January 2024 or if you had set a goal in 2023 how what the outcome was in to regards that so you can always call us on that and you can always message us dm us at voice of islam uk so no no shaman we have very very many topics today it's very interesting resolutions people set for example some people have set their goals um regarding physical um, activity mental activities or mental well-being or be healthy eating for example what ha- what have you set one of the goals for this goodness, year i haven't set any specific goals but one of my main goals is to improve my spirituality Indeed. um in terms of prayers um of course the comp- compulsory prayers i want to make be more focused on that um and of course then moving forward i want to focus more this year on my voluntary prayers as well uh, this includes of course various voluntary prayers including tahajjud prayer which is a very early prayer mm-hmm. um so i really want to focus on on my spirituality and from the study that i've presented earlier it, it's um we see that there's a lot of goals and resolutions that are to do with one's person uh, whether it's physical and but there isn't any i think there's a there isn't a great deal of focus in regards to spirituality people are not setting goals for that maybe is because you see a drift in people moving away from religion mm-hmm. um but that's what the studies show us um i think and as for muslims our main focus throughout the year our main goal throughout the year to improve yourself in spirituality to improve in nearness to allah the almighty which is the fundamental of uh, islam as a religion Correct. and of course um helping humanity looking after the creation of allah the almighty so i think our goals should be in line with these commandments in line with these fundamentals of islam that's well said and carrying this um conversation further we have our first guest with us today rachel orit 
who um, is a health information manager at Cancer Research UK. With this short introduction, I would like to welcome her to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. How are you, Rachel? I'm very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for joining us um, on on this new year um, in regards to um, new, new Year's resolutions. So I wanted to ask you um, very f- the first question. In your role, have you observed any patterns or trends in the reasons people decide to quit smoking, and especially during the transition into a new year? Absolutely. So people want to quit smoking for lots of different reasons. Mm-hmm. It might be that you want to improve your health. Um, you might want to be saving money in the new year or protecting health of people around you. Um, it's also a great way to set a good, good example for your children. Or maybe you might just want to be free of the addiction to cigarettes. Um, so there's lots of great reasons. And whatever the, re- the reason, the new year is a great time to make a stop. Yes. So um, what are some scientifically proven methods or strategies um, for breaking the habit of smoking and fostering a smoke-free lifestyle? So one of the most important things that we see is um, for people to get support in their stop smoking attempts. So we know that you're much more likely to stop smoking successfully if you get support either from your GP or a local stop smoking service. Mm-hmm. So both of those are free options and they can make a really big difference. For example, if you get access to free stop smoking tools through one of those services um, you could be using things like e-cigarettes nicotine replacement patches or gum um, or other other tools and you can also have someone on your side who's helped lots of other people stop smoking successfully and that's really valuable um, one of the other things I'd say is that it's important not to be put off if it's not worked out in the past say you've you, you know you've tried before and it's not quite worked for you yet mm-hmm. every time you try to stop smoking you are closer to doing it for good um, and it might just mean that you need to get a bit more support this time from your GP or stop smoking service. Maybe you need to try a different method or make an adjustment to a method you've tried in the past. So it's really about finding what works for you as much as anything. Yes. Um, but definitely keep trying. So, Rachel, is there a success story of someone who tried, failed, tried, failed, and then su- and at the end, the end result was they were successful? Yeah, absolutely. And and in fact, for, for lots of people, it can take more than one attempt to stop smoking before they're successful. Um, and that's why we say, you know, each time you try, you are getting closer to that successful stop smoking attempt. Everybody can stop smoking if they do smoke. It just means um, you might, you know, if you have tried before and not quite managed it, you might just need that support. And mm-hmm. that's where I would ask people to, to consider calling their GP, making an appointment um, or finding out where their local stop smoking service is and paying them a visit. So, um, Rachel, how can, for example, an in- individual manage stress and anxiety um, which are like common triggers for smoking as they embark on the journey of quitting um, in in the new year? Yeah, a really important question. Um, Planning how you'll stop can help. So again, you're going to be sick of me saying this, but your GP or local stop smoking (laughs) service, they're the ones to help you do this. It can be a bit more difficult to stop if there's other challenges that you've got in your life. So chatting this through with a professional just means you're going to get the right systems in place so you feel ready to make that change. Um, And they can also help you do things like identify triggers. So it might be a certain time of the day or events that make you want to reach out for a cigarette. And you can plan for how you'll deal with that and what you'll do instead. Um, But what I would say is it's actually a myth that smoking calms you down. A lot of people think that. 
Um, but what actually happens is that it's the addiction itself to nicotine that creates that feeling of tension or anxiety. So when you have a cigarette, it feels like a relief, but actually what's happening is the addiction is causing that stress. So when you're not addicted to nicotine anymore, you won't have that stress. Um, so it is, you know, it is one important thing to do and, and, and not to be put off. Uh, Rachel, are there any specific health assessments or checkups individuals should consider when they make the decision to quit smoking or which they can track their progress and overall well-being? Yeah, of course. So um, one thing to note is you, you don't need to do any particular assessment or checkup. Some people do find it really motivating, though, to sort of track their process and progress, sorry, and, and see how it's going. Right. Um, so things like Stop Smoking Services, they do help you through those sorts of checkups. Um, and they can show you the sorts of benefits that happen as soon as you put out that last cigarette. So levels of harm- harmful chemicals in your body start to decrease as soon as you stop smoking. Um, and you'll start to feel healthier and fitter probably sooner than you expect. Um, so, yeah, definitely. T- if that's something that motivates you, um, for people listening, you know, if if you know yourself that you need to see the progress happening, um, then talk to your GP or stop smoking service about that so that they can help you build that into your plan. I was waiting for you to say GP and you said it right at the end once again. (laughs) Uh, Very lastly, Rachel, uh, are there specific uh, resources or programs available through cancer research uh, that can assist individuals in their efforts to quit smoking and lead a healthy lifestyle? Yes, so I'd really encourage anyone who's listening, perhaps you're interested for more information for yourself or maybe there's someone that you care about that smokes that you want to help. Um, visit our website first and foremost, so criuk.org forward slash smoking, um, and you'll find lots of information on there and resources to help you in your stop attempt. Um, and if you've heard enough and you want to get started on your journey, and I've made uh, I've I've made that GP slash stop smoking <laughs> service stick in your mind, um, then do you know book yourself a GP appointment or search online for NHS stop smoking services and uh, start that journey today. Great. Thank you very much, Rachel. Uh, Thank you for joining us. And it was a pleasure having you on our show today. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. So this was Rachel Orrit, who is a um, information health information manager at Cancer Research UK. And for the listeners who are trying to stop smoking, as Rachel has mentioned, you know, you can always go to your GP or go to stop smoking and ask them for help. And that's, I think, one um, great thing which was mentioned over and over again in this especially. So any listeners um, who are thinking as a New Year resolution and they want to stop smoking, then they should get um, that correct information from uh, from health professionals. Yep. So, of course, the means are there. Uh, The help is available there. Um, So do reach out. And of course, um, it shouldn't be thinking now because it's the year we've moved on to the year in the second day. So it should be more of how to practice your resolutions uh, because the thought process and everything that should have been uh, done towards the end of uh, last Last year. year. So I think, yeah, definitely. Now it's time for action. Definitely. And of course, you know, Islam especially has one way of putting it into New Year's resolutions also that, you know, for example, we should be as Muslims try make a more stronger connection with Allah the Almighty. And I think I've, I've, I've mentioned this story numerous times on the show about a, a elderly saint who was praying for many years and 30 odd years. And one of his students asked them, you know, um, if you're praying towards Allah the Almighty and he's not listening, so what's the point? 
praying towards him. You know, the elderly saint said, my work is to pray and his work is to answer. And after that, Allah the Almighty listened to his prayers and said, whatever you have been praying for the past 30 years, they will be um, accepted. And what what the teaching from that is, you know, every year when New Year's comes around, we should try our level best and not think about, okay, we, we weren't able to establish a connection last year. We don't know what, what's been happening behind the scenes, what's Allah, what, what, what Allah's will is. Our work is to, in the new year, when we enter new year again, we should pray towards Allah the Almighty. And you know, the one beautiful example for that is, you know, His Holiness has a Khalifatul Masih, the fourth. May Allah have mercy on him. And he was traveling in, it was a Houston station at that time and 12 o'clock struck and New Year's began. And what he did put was that he put some newspapers on the floor and started praying towards Allah the Almighty. And there was an elderly man behind him and started weeping. And His Holiness could hear him weeping while he was praying. And when he finished his prayer, and he went to the elderly man, and he's like, um, why are you crying? Did I do anything? Um, anything wrong or anything? And the elderly man goes, no, you haven't done anything wrong. But, you know, I'm, I'm, pr- I'm just crying because you are here praying and for the better, uh, for, towards uh, the, the Creator. And while the, um, the people are, are, are partying outside, and what one thing which was coming in from my heart, the elderly person was saying is, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Because you were carried, you were thinking about everyone else and praying towards who, who actually was the creator. So, you know, even His Holiness, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih, the fifth, Hazrat Mizam the fifth um, caliph of the promised Messiah, alayhi salam, uh, upon whom be peace. He's been mentioning it every year, new, um, when the new year comes around, that we should um, reevaluate ourselves, think what have we done in the past year, and then while we go in this year, and we shouldn't do, the, do shouldn't do those those mistakes again, and uh, the, we have all the um, sayings or the teachings of Islam. We, we have live guidance from His Holiness, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih the Fifth. May Allah strengthen his hand. So you know, all this is available to us. And that, that's Islam. What, what Islam has been trying to teach us is, you know, pray towards the one who has created you and be thankful to him who has created you. And we should worship him and because he's the one who has provided us with everything. Yep, Saad. So just delving further into our topic of resolutions and, of course, great anecdote and great stories, as you mentioned, which are a means of motivation, not just for ourselves, but for our listeners as well. So Islam understands like the human nature of how we are weak as human beings, mm-hmm. how we may not be able to stay consistent with our um, good habits or with our goals. So, but obviously over the next half an hour or so and the rest of the show, we'll discuss on how we can uh, strengthen our willpower and have that energy. So if the New Year blues are getting to you and the excitement to be a new you is fading, we will present 14 various um, tips to help you um, in regards to your goals and your resolutions. So the second um, head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Bashuruddin Mahmood Ahmad, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, stated that a person resolves to perform an action but then falters. Therefore, willpower has to be strengthened. For this purpose, I suggest a tonic, which is composed of as many as 14 ingredients, which are taken from the Holy Quran and the traditions of the Holy Prophet on him be peace. This is taken from his book. So there's 14 tips on how to strengthen your willpower 
we can go well, I'll go over them one by one and obviously we can discuss further results um so the first is reminding yourself of your purpose you've mentioned the verse of the holy quran <laughs> in the beginning which means allah might hasn't created men or jinn but for the sole purpose for his um prayers yep secondly i can do it mindset meaning just trying and believing in yourself that you can do it Indeed. yeah you should be repeating that thirdly don't doubt yourself as the elderly saints he never doubted himself while he was praying yep. never doubt yourself never uh, doubt the will of allah the almighty and what he has in plan for you fourth true believers cannot fail indeed five satan cannot fool god's servants and regarding this um, i want to mention in in today's you know um the second caliph of islam hazrat umar bin al khattab may allah be pleased with him you know the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said regarding him that Oh, Omar, even this, uh, even the, sh- uh, even Satan cannot touch your shadow. You know, he was so pious, so humble, mm. so mighty. Then uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be Allah be upon him, said to Omar, Oh, Omar, e- even your shadow can't be touched by Satan. So, so wow. th- this is how yeah. we should be in this day and age also. Six, fear no man. Seven, I have support. You have support, whether it's your family members, whether it's Allah the Almighty. You have the support. And in, in regard, to, I want to mention this. You know, in, in the first chapter of the Holy Quran, we say, "Iya kanabudu wa iya kanastin." We we pray towards you and we ask for you for the help. So Allah the Almighty is the one who is providing everything for us. Yep. Eighth, I will not despair God's mercy. Indeed, and as we all know. at the start of every chapter except one it says auz billahi uh, bismillahir rahmanir rahim in the name of allah the gracious the merciful definitely and number 9 the possibilities are endless indeed you know there are many numerous ways you know and the possibilities in in regards that you know it's about to taking the first step and then everything will open up for you but it can't it has to come from within to take that very first step yep 10 i would not be disgraced and indeed you know if you are a true believer and you're following in, in the true religion of islam and allah the almighty will never disgrace you as mentioned for example the story i mentioned about the elderly saint when the student asked him have you been praying for so long what was the point and straight after that, allah almighty said your prayers are answered allah the almighty never let his true believers go in vain number 11 prepare to avoid failure indeed Like uh, of course, you at times you might seem that you've hit a dead end, you failed, but to be prepared for it because of course you can't overcome it. It might be a challenge. Um, be ready to overcome that. Twelve and thirteen are similar. I will not be influenced by negativity, and also surround yourself with positivity because you are what makes your surroundings. Whatever is around you, the company that you're with, that yes. of course affects and your. And what you just mentioned, Oshawan, but um, is. the company you know make sure for everyone out there make sure you the company you're in the um their pious people because a negative influence can be um um put on your mindset if you're not um strong enough um um in that regard and then the negativity takes over you so always pray that allah the mighty guides us towards the right path you know in the first chapter of holy quran it says ihdinas siratal mustaqim guide us towards a path, right path that prayer should be recited over and over again that allah the mighty saves us from any kind of negativity and always keeps us with um positive um company and 14 and finally i won't live forever that's correct um yep at the end of the day our purpose 
in this world is to worship Allah the Almighty, to follow his religion, to follow his prophets and his commandments. And at the end, we will return to Allah the Almighty and we will be answerable for all our actions, all our deeds. And so, indeed, as you mentioned, I won't live forever that, you know, um, Hazrat Isa, salam, you know, upon whom be peace, has passed away. He hasn't, he... And in that regard, the promised Messiah who was promised to come, and he came in, he was born in 1835, um, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. He is the promised Messiah that awaited Mahdi for many centuries, which people are waited for, who are still waiting for, and he has come. Um, and he was born in 1835 in a town called Qadian in India. Yeah. So, you know, as you know, we have many more things to talk about. These are a couple of pointers, as Nushirwan has mentioned, you know, the 14 points in regards to that. So we should always remind ourselves, you know, about our purpose, what what that is, which is, you know, pray towards Allah the Almighty. And that is the true purpose of ours. Likewise, there are only two um, purposes which a man has been sent for. One is obviously filling the foot of rights towards Allah the Almighty. And the second is towards the mankind and um, helping out your neighbors, your um, fellow colleagues, your brothers, siblings, so on and so forth. Helping mankind is part of your faith. We should always remember that, and that is what Islam has been teaching us for the past 1400 years now. Yep, and of course these are points, these are 14 points um, in how to strengthen your willpower um, in terms of uh, setting your goals and achieving your goals. Um, of, we don't have time to go through every single one of them and explaining them. Yes, and you know I want to mention in, in regards of New Year, in, in the year 2021, at the very last um, Friday sermon, His Holiness Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih the Fifth, may Allah strengthen his hand, is taught and um, said about New Year's begin is beginning tomorrow. So that was the last first sermon he was giving. You know, he said he prayed that may Allah make this New Year blessed for the community and its members. May the community be kept safe from all evils, and may all the plots against the community be foiled. May we be uh, may we be among those who witness the fulfillment of the promise made by God to the promised Messiah upon whom be peace. His Holiness, you know, said further that we should enter the new into the new year with prayers. So, um, and as Hazur said on, uh, um, further onwards, the Hajjud, which means the pre-dawn voluntary prayers, should be offered, and many mosques are arranging for these. And then you know, those who have not yet made plans to do so, if it's not possible in congregation, then people should offer the tajjah individually in their homes. And furthermore, furthermore, His Holiness, Mella Strengthening Sad said that along with Dhru Shreef, which means salutation upon the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be Allah be upon him, and istighfar, seeking forgiveness, the following prayer should be recited. And I will just mention the English here at the moment. Our Lord, let not our hearts become perverse after thou hast guided us and bestow on us mercy from thyself surely thou alone art the bestower chapter 3 verse 9 and one more prayer which I mentioned was our Lord forgive us our errors and our excuses in con in our conduct 
and make firm our steps and help us against the disbelieving people. Chapter 3, verse 148. You know, Hazur was mentioning this in regards, you know, um, prayers and what we should as Muslims do and when we are entering a new year, we should do the early dawn prayers. And many mosques throughout um, the UK did that. For example, in my mosque, we, we had this, that early morning, the early pre-dawn prayer happened. Congregation, the community came together. After that, the Fajr prayer, which is the um, first prayer um, of the day for Muslims. And then the youngsters, the Ahmadiyya Youth Association, went out and to clean the streets where people were partying last night the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association were going out the very next day early morning picking up empty beer bottles broken glasses and um, fireworks which, which which were left behind you know which which is a massive hazard for the general public in itself that you know, fireworks are left behind sometimes and which are, which haven't been used and just there if god forbid something happens and they get ignited somehow so we should be mindful in to that regard and the old youngsters were uh, that day went out making sure that their um, streets their the home streets are cleared and so that general public can have a safer space when they wake up on the first yep and Saad, of course you've mentioned um the words of his holiness uh, may allah be his helper and of course the prayers he made as we enter the new year but you know just before he made the prayers um he also reminded every ahmadi uh, muslim to pray and remember the palestinian brothers sisters and children um that are going are going through this conflict and Indeed. all the suffering they're facing he, he prayed that his holiness prayed that may Allah remove their difficulties and remove the oppression that they're facing. Um, so, of course, this is something, this is a prayer we should also keep in mind, uh, at least in every prayer, one such day in every prayer, that we should try to offer for our Palestinian brothers and sisters. Indeed. And, of course, like His Holiness mentioned, that we offer the pre-dawn uh, voluntary prayers. Um, in regards to that, I think we should keep in mind that it isn't that we just offer the pre-dawn prayer on the first day of the year and then forget about it for the rest of the year and then come back to it the following year. Mm-hmm. Rather, it's it's an attempt to start, so your focus is right, right? We, we start the year with these pre-dawn tahajjud prayers and then, of course, keep in mind that, look, if I've started this initiative on the first day of the new year, I we should make it a habit. Of course, at times, it might not be, of course, you might have a late night in or um, you might not be able to offer it every day. But this is the whole thing about setting resolutions is setting targets which are more realistic to yourself. Correct. If you can't offer the pre-dawn prayer, the hajjud prayer daily, then make a target that on the weekends, mm-hmm. on Saturday and Sunday, you're going to wake up early and offer the pre-dawn, the hajjud prayers. And then, of course, once you see that you've been doing it for the for, for four or five weeks, then you can perhaps increase a day or two in the week. In, and in, in regards to this, for regarding New Year, his um, his holiness, uh, the fourth caliph um, of the Ahmadi Muslim community, you know, he spoke about the significance of the passing of the of the New Year, and here's what his holiness had to say. Now, the significance of the years as they pass is not to enjoy or celebrate that the New Year has gone but to contemplate and to re-look back and examine what we gained and what we lost during the last year. How many are left with us? 
So people say somebody is growing old. That is to say his age is increasing. Well, in fact, the age is decreasing with the passage of years. So my attitude, which I also want to inculcate among Ahmadis, is simply this, that every year that, that passes, at the joint of two years, there is a time for contemplation and self-examination, introspection, and also the examination of all our children, family members, and others who are working under us, because we'll be answerable before Allah for all over whom we have some measure of control or influence. So every year I remind the Jamaat to go through that self-inspection and self-criticism and exploration of your own inner thoughts and things and find out how far you have advanced in the direction of God or receded from that height which you had gained earlier. So that is the reason why we must look at the years as they pass by. It, are we really gaining some distance with these milestones, with reference to these milestones? Or we are losing whatever journey we had made earlier? So that is the most important thing, which was, must be born at the time of the joint of the years. The years as they pass, they in themselves mean nothing. Only they mean something in relation to the people who have gone through that period. And they are neither slow nor fast. It also is a matter of human perspective. Years, in some cases, pass so rapidly that a year goes and another comes and another year comes and another goes and so on and so forth, they seem moving bumper to bumper, like a crowded street, where cars stand or move bumper to bumper. But uh, those who waste their time, for them the years just do not pass. Those who idle their time away, they have to wait for every day to begin and to end purposelessly. Then there are those who spend their days in pursuit of luxuries. Their time also moves faster and their days end more quickly. But those who, there are those who spend their time in occupation of good things, but they are not well versed or well acquainted with goodness, so goodness seems to be boring to them. So their types which decide what sort of year has passed in relation to each person. Each person has different years. His speed is different, his purpose is different. The only thing which counts, as I have said already and I repeat, is that how much distance you have gained in the direction of Allah before death overtakes you. So if we look at the years in this way, then the question of celebration does never even strikes your mind. 
It's a question sometimes which depresses you, which bears heavily upon your heart. You think, oh, another year gone, and what have we done? In this sense, a Urdu poet has said, Afsos din bahar ke yuhi guzar gaye. Oh, woe that the days of spring have gone by without a purpose, without a benefit, without a gain. So we should think about how we are passing through the years. These were the, the words of his um, our, of our beloved um, Hazur, the, the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. May Allah have mercy on him. And it was very beautifully explained by him you know, in, in regards of what happens within the passing of the years. And you know, Badr Nashirwan, and just dwelling over the numbers suddenly changed. For example, it was 1997 when I was born and suddenly it is um, 2024 and there was a time when I was hoping, you know, I was thinking when it's going to be the year uh, 2015 where I can pass my license or 2014 uh, where I can pass my license and now the license, I've passed my license, life just goes on so we should think and ponder upon it that what we have gained for the past um, so many years and what we can gain in the upcoming years also. You know, carrying this um, conversation further, we have with us our second guest of today's show, Hazim Arif, who is a final year student of the Jamia Ahmadiyya UK, which is an institution of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community of uh, modern language and theology. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, Azim. How are you? Alhamdulillah, I'm well, thank you. How are you? Alhamdulillah. Zakla, first of all, for joining us today. And in, in regards um, of today's topic, the new year and new resolution, you know, reflecting on the past year, did you set any resolution for y- the year 2023? If so, could you share your personal experience of how successful you were in reaching them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I, like everyone else, uh, everyone sets, you know, their resolutions every time the new year comes around, and mm-hmm. uh, so did I in 2023. I had my goals, I had my my resolutions, which I set, and my resolutions were mostly focused on my academic uh, progress. Um, of course, studying in Jamia, it's really important to always kind of uh, make you know new strides in learning new things about your faith, about Islam, so that you can spread that forward. And the main my main resolution was, you know, every day to try and end every day uh, learning something new, whether that was something small, whether that was something big, you know, introducing yourself to a whole new topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just the main thing was that every day you're, you're reading through something new and so that you can, you know, end that day knowing that you've, that you've improved in some facet or in some aspect of, of knowledge. And um, the other thing was, which kind of goes hand in hand with this, was um, I found that for far too long I was, I was wasting too much time and I think everyone has this mindset that you know, if, you, if you don't start studying at a certain time, for example, say at 4 p.m., and it goes past 4 p.m., and you're like, okay, I'll start at 4.30, and it goes past 4.30, and you're like, okay, I'll start at 5 o'clock. I thought that you know, every minute, every second is so valuable, and that even in one minute, you can read like five pages of a book. So why not avail of that time? So I started to, to really look at, at the time where my time was being wasted, and in between different activities, what I could squeeze in and what I could fit in. And after kind of, a, kind of um, analyzing that and uh, kind of isolating those moments where I was wasting time, I managed to really kind of uh, extract a lot more work effort, a lot more kind of work output 
from those minutes which I was wasting previously. So I think these two things were the main things I well, I tried to work on this year. Perfect. And you know, uh, considering the demands of being a Jamia student, how do you perceive you know the importance of maintaining your physical fitness for academic success? And do you um, incorporate fitness goals into your routine? Yeah, I mean that's a really qu- a good question, and I think I can personally testify to this because uh, at the start of, of this year, I was of, I mean of last year now, at the start of last year, I can safely say that I was not physically active. I my routine did not consist of that much physical activity. I was mostly sat down studying, and my you know I couldn't really con- kind of compartmentalize the study aspect of my life and the kind of physical fitness aspect of my life. And I thought that I thought that the, the more time I spent studying was was beneficial to me. And I thought that going out for a run or going out playing football or something was wasn't as beneficial as studying in that moment. But after kind of after trying to implement a you know, better a better routine in terms of improving my physical health, did until that moment did I, did I notice that um, that it had a positive impact on my studies too? Uh, of course, you know more time was spent. Uh, you know, a few two hours a day was spent uh, exercising, and two hours that I could have spent studying. But because of my physical fitness improving, the work, the the, the time I spent studying, that was made more kind of lucrative. That I could get a lot more work done in a shorter amount of time, and that was the balance which which I which I got. And um, you know, with that, my physical fitness improved a lot, and alhamdulillah, my studies improved. Even though I was spending less time studying, it was just my mental health improve through the physical fitness so i think it all goes hand in hand and that's one of the blessings of the khilafat as Fazul guides you know all of us in jamia to spend at least an hour and a half exercising every day and after i started to implement Hazul's advice did i see an improvement in all of the different aspects of uh, of jamia of a jamia lifestyle uh, not just in studies but also in you know obviously in your fitness in uh, your spiritual progress too in your prayers everything improved like tenfold so alhamdulillah Indeed, you know, Hazim, as as it is your final year in the in in Jamia Ahmadiyya UK, um, and and we have stepped into the new year. Are there any specific resolutions you are considering, and how do you plan to approach them differently for your success as it is the last year? So this year is, you know, of course, as you mentioned, is my final year. The main thing is just maintaining what I maintaining what I've achieved over the past year and. That's mostly in terms of the routine that I've managed to implement in my day-to-day life. Uh, just trying my best to manage that and to carry on going through that every single day. Mm-hmm. And one thing which I, which I feel like you, uh, hopefully the listeners can benefit from is that you know, every year we always make resolutions. And it's, they're mostly long-term resolutions, saying that you know, uh, by the end of next year I want to achieve so-and-so goal. But I think that, I think that that's, it's kind of counterproductive because... When you set a goal which is too kind of far in, into the future, you can lose kind of focus during that time. And it's really important to set kind of shorter term and marginal goals because when you, when you meet those goals in a shorter amount of time, it's more motivating for you. It fuels you more because you can, you can kind of, you, you feel successful in, in that way. You know, it, whether that be daily goals, you know, meeting a daily quota of exercise or number of pages read or, you know, or, or something which you wanted to learn that day, may, that could be weekly goals. But as long as it's marginal and as long as it's short term, that's one thing which I think I will try my best to implement in achieving my goals for this year is to keep my goals short term so that I can achieve those wins and then motivates me to get to achieve more and more as the weeks go by. Azim, you know, well said. And finally, before I let you go, 
for, for today. You know, while the world resolutions, you know, often um, revolve around health, fitness, um, studies and finance and, you know, and many, many more. You know, transitioning to a spiritual perspective, you know, raises you know, yeah. great questions. So how can individuals craft, you know, realistic and goals and maintain you know, consistency in their spiritual journey? Yeah, I think I think spiritual progress and physical progress in terms of worldly pursuits they can go hand in hand, and you know just as to achieve worldly pursuits your your physical progress you need to stay consistent, and the same thing applies to spirituality too. Uh, you can't just go from praying zero to hundred to praying like two hours, uh, uh, you know, in the early hours of the morning. It's not it's not likely that you you keep that up. And Allah always says in the Quran that uh, the the work which is more loved to God is one which is kept like which is being done consistently, and also that also means that you shouldn't just you know just drown yourself into it because it it can be hard to maintain. And having said that, um, I remember I was reading um, it was a book it was a book which was originally kind of letters sent to or letters or speeches given by a Muslim or maybe Allah be pleased with him to missionaries being sent abroad. And he gave them advice on, with regards to um, kind of their, 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 their Dahajjad prayers. And he said that if you cannot, if you can't, if you struggle to get up in the morning for Dahajjad, then at the very least, get up, you know, wake up and do istighfar. That, uh, that's at the very least. But that just shows you that when you want to achieve something, you know, especially in your spiritual progress, it's always good to start off with smaller goals. And be that, you know, doing istighfar. And as the weeks go by, you would end up, you know, developing a, more, a love for waking up early and remembering Allah, which would then might motivate you to get out of bed and actually do tahajjud. And that will bring, that will kind of build a stronger foundation, a stronger kind of um, platform for you to bolster your spiritual progress, spiritual levels in the eyes of God. So I think the main, main message is to start, be consistent and to start, um, start small and work your way up because that's how, that's how things are you know, made stronger. Perfect. Zakla, um, Brother Hazimara, for joining us today. And, you know, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. No Zakla worries. For having me. Peace be upon you, Zakla. Assalamu alaikum. So, this was Brother Hazim Araf, who is a final year student of Jamia Ahmadiyya UK, an institute of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. You know, Nasharwan, you know, very beautifully said by Brother Hazim about the goals how to attain them especially regarding that the Hajjah prayer which is the pre-dawn prayer that you know you can't go from 0 to 100 uh, 0 to 2 hours in one day right it takes consistency I'm doing it over and over again and then you reach that point so we have to think about if you're starting off with something you won't be at its peak on the very first day but it, it takes a or struggle or even if you do start and reach its peak for the first week and then you're more likely to, to fail in the long term, indeed, and as mentioned in uh, at the start by by by, by yourself about you know the st- statistics, you know many people in the first week twenty five percent just just leave from about it and say okay we can't do it anymore. So it's a huge number which which leaves behind. Yeah, definitely. And uh, um, Saad, as we're heading towards, towards the end of the hour, correct. Um, there's something important I want to mention that I remember a few years ago, um, His Holiness Hazrat Khalifa Masih. Uh, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, mentioned in his sermon in 2016, there was a series of questions he presented. He said, that as we're leaving the year behind and we're entering the new year, these are some questions we should keep in mind uh, to evaluate, to have a self-assessment, whether we have fulfilled these questions. And if we haven't fulfilled 
um, the answers to these questions mm-hmm. we don't have we haven't completed it to the best of manner then going to the new year those should be our main focuses so i will present some of the questions is they were did we fulfill our promise um, of abstaining shirk i mean associating partners with allah the almighty did we spend our year completely free from lying did we keep ourselves away from such gatherings which can lead to bad thoughts did we protect ourselves from trespass of the eye did we protect to uh, did we try to protect ourselves from all immoral deeds did we keep ourselves away from all acts of cruelty did we protect ourselves from every kind of treachery did we try to protect ourselves from all kinds of conflict did we keep ourselves safe from any rebellious thoughts were we unbeaten from our passions did we offer five daily prayers were we attentive towards offering tahajjud pre-dawn prayers did we uh, keep invoking durood on our be- uh, beloved prophet holy prophet peace and be- blessings of allah be upon him did we try not to inflict any pain on our own kin and other people were we regular in doing istighfar meaning uh, asking for forgiveness were we attentive towards praising allah the almighty did we try to protect ourselves from all forms of customs and rituals did we try to adopt ourselves according to the commandments of allah the almighty and the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him did we try to adopt humility and meekness did we try to leave pride and vanity did we try to achieve best level of behavior did each day saw an improvement in us in regards to our faith and its glory did we march forward in the love of islam were we improving ourselves in the love of allah the almighty's creation did we keep trying to bring benefit to allah's creation by using all our abilities did we keep praying that we may keep our level of obedience to the promised messiah peace be upon him and develop it further did we strengthen the ties of brotherhood and obedience to such a level that it makes priority take it takes priority over all other relations did we keep praying to increase our obedience to love for khilafat did we keep praying regularly for the khalifa may allah be his helper and the jamaat and then hazur after stating all these questions hazur said that if the most of the answers of these questions are in affirmative then this year went well despite some uh, despite of some weaknesses but if most answers are uh, in negative then do special prayers that allah the almighty may forgive your failings and may allah enable you to gain more and more in the new year and count you among those believers who are always ready to sacrifice everything in the way of allah so these i i thought first i'll mention a few questions but i thought it's better for our listeners to understand and hear all the questions because i think this should be our basis of our resolutions and whether how we assess and evaluate our previous year we lay down these questions and if the answer is correct like we have Uh, safeguarded us all from lying from sinning from associating partners with allah the almighty and if majority of them are yes that means we have done well but if we're sh- lacking or having shortcoming in some of them then we should note those down and for the following year we should focus on those and then obviously make them into affirmative as well indeed so now as so as you know we continue our journey in the year 2024 see it is another year you know, to polish our soul's diamond and continuously you know, refining it to shine even brighter for truly um for truly to have a pious soul you know and have such a beautiful way that when when we return to Allah the Almighty and we can, we, we are able to say yes we have been living to our best abilities when you have sent us to the earth so i, I hope that you know this uh, first segment of today's drive time show was 
something where we all were able to learn something new and the questions raised um, talked to us by our beloved caliph hopefully we were able to um, listen to them and try you know to better ourselves in our shortcomings um, in the year 2024 yeah and of course that remember that the true transformation it does not come not from only external changes but it's from the sincerity of the heart it matters it depends on how sincere you are uh, in regards to changing yourself in regards to following your resolution and your goals Correct. so of course you've got to be sincere in the heart for first and foremost so stay tuned with us and after the five o'clock news we'll be presenting another show another segment of today's drive time show till then assalamu alaikum peace peace be upon you You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace be upon you all and welcome back to the second hour of today's Drive Time show where we'll be talking about the secondary education and the system in 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 regards to that over who needed. But before we go on to to the second topic of today I just want to mention uh, the poll which came in for the first hour. By the end of 2024, I would most like to. So 13% said learn a new set of skills. 44% said be healthier. 38% said expand my knowledge. And 5% said overcome a fear. And I hope and you know, and pray that you know, all those people who have um, said in 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 regards what they would like to have by the end of 2024 they are able to um, fulfill their commitment also in in regards to that for example learning the new skill or becoming more knowledgeable knowledgeable in in some section or overall and you know be healthier or overcome overcome a fear but moving on swiftly towards our second hour in regards to secondary education over who needed you know you all are well aware that the world has radically changed over the past decades but many believe you know, that our education system has yet to change according to some an overhaul is needed to for our children to prepared to be prepared for an increasingly digital world so join us as we find out if we need an overhaul and if so what reforms we can make to modernize our education system as usual will be uh, will be sure to shed light on the islamic teachings in regards to acquiring knowledge also yep so of course bringing in the islamic perspective in regards to education there's a very famous saying of the holy prophet of islam prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him he said that seeking knowledge is obligatory for every muslim men or women of course from that understanding it is just clear that in terms of seeking knowledge it's important for every muslim um and emphasizing the importance of education the worldwide head of the ahmadiyya muslim community the fifth caliph his holiness hazrat mirza masur ahmad may allah be upon he states that the holy quran has signified the importance of education by teaching the prayer oh my lord increase me in knowledge 
and the Holy Quran and the teachings of the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, inspired the works of generations of Muslims, intellectuals, philosophers and inventors in the Middle Ages. And indeed, if we look back more than a millennium, we see how Muslim scientists and inventors played a fundamental role in advancing knowledge and developing technologies which transformed the world and remain in use today. So, of course, this was the teaching of Islam to in, in order to progress um, in every generation. We, are to, we were given focus on learning knowledge, spreading knowledge, and if we, in order to seek knowledge, if we had to travel, Muslims were advised to do so. Indeed. And we see that over uh, generations, uh, we have had um, a lot of um, Muslim scientists, inventors, philosophers, and their work is even used in the present day um, in terms of whichever knowledge that may be. They're still being used today um, for the progress uh, and the betterment of humanity. You know, um, Brother Nishman, you've mentioned two beautiful um, um, quotes in there. One is from the Holy Quran, you know, um, oh Allah, increase me in my knowledge. It's, it's a beautiful dua which is uh, being taught to Muslims when they're very young also, which is Rabbi Zidni Ilma. You know, that oh Allah, increase me in my knowledge. And it is advised to all Muslims, and especially if exams come around. And that every repair, parent says that, that, that that's repeated over and over again. Over and we tongue. see the uh, you know, blessings of that prayer being fulfilled when, when, when while sitting in the exam and you're doing your paper. You when when you can't think of an um, answer and suddenly an answer comes in after when you recite the prayer over and over again and ask oh Allah the Almighty, I did learn about this, but suddenly because of pressure, whatever it is, I can't remember, and suddenly the the thing comes in your mind. You're like, oh yeah, I I remember this now, and you suddenly write the answer down in the exam papers. So it's a very beautiful um, prayer, which was which has been taught to Muslims from very early age, and especially you know when you mentioned the narration of uh, of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings be Allah be upon him. Seeking knowledge is obligatory, is is important, is must for every Muslim man and woman. So you know. 1400 years ago, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be Allah be upon him, said, you know, every Muslim should attain knowledge because if uh, knowledge comes through and uh, the women you know, have knowledge in, by, in, in themselves, also they can teach the next generation and then, and then, then the women in the next generation can, can teach the next generation about education or about the world itself. But if they, they themselves don't know about um, um, what is happening, Around how can they teach um, further onwards? Yep. So of course, Islam's uh, principles are clear. Uh, Muslims, both men and women, are instructed um, to seek knowledge. Of course, secondary education also falls within that category. And of course, there's pairs calls for urgent overhaul. Why? Because um, there is ever growing, um, ever growing need for education. However, mm-hmm. there seems that. Uh, education system may be um, a bit behind in terms of the modern technologies that we have. So Sally Will writes in The Guardian that a major uh, parliamentary report has called for an urgent overhaul of secondary education in England. So according to the House of Lords report, the education system from 11 to 16 year old is too focused on academic learning and written exams. The report raises a complaint that current uh, curriculum is overburdened with content and the students do not have enough opportunity to pursue creative and technical subjects. And of course, year by year, 
uh, we're growing. Um, the technologies are growing Indeed. in terms of uh, careers. They're changing. Um, so and the main concern is that despite all these uh, progress, um, is the education system um, helping them in order to uh, apply and be useful for their for their futures? Indeed, and that's why the committee suggested you know, we should focus on broader set of skills that can fulfil the needs of the future digital and green economy. You know, the committee recommended that schools and teachers should be allowed to offer a more varied range of learning experiences. You know, students should have more opportunities, you know, to und- to study creativity and cultural and vocational and techni- uh, te- um, te- um, technical subjects. Students, you know, should um, also have the options to take functional literacy and numeracy qualifications that are equal in value to GCSE, English and maths. You know, the reports call for more non-exam assessments during Key Stage 4. It is also in favour of more on-screen assessment in GCSE exams following a dramatic decline in other subjects. The report calls for the criteria for EBAC, which means English Bachelorette. 90% of Year 10 pupils should enter the EBAC, EBAC by 2025 to be removed. The former Education Secretary, Kenneth Baker, said dropping the EBAC would give schools greater great freedom to decide which subject they want to teach. You know, he further stated, there has been a tremendous drop in tech, um, technical subjects. Design and technology entries have dropped by between 70 and 80% in the last 13 years. You know, quite, a, quite a massive um, decline there, not sure. You know, seventy to eighty percent um, are not doing. You know, the word is DT, which we use when we were in school, design and technology. I remember um, also when it, it was quite a creative. The, the creativity which comes out in design and technology is is commendable. You see students making, from, for example, a chair to a. Um, let's say a small um, coffee table some made uh, I made um, I made a speaker and it mm. was such a way that it looked you know very modernized one acrylic sheet was used and a small box behind it and it was covered by a very um, felt like cover and a small uh, a nameplate at the bottom you know to make it look modernized that was my DT design which I remember making so yeah. I remember picking DT as well. It was just really, it was really interesting. And um, in terms of creativity, you had you had to bring your own thoughts and ideas yes. into actual reality. Uh, in terms of that, it, it was it was it was really good. And and the projects we had to carry out was understanding electricity, understanding how electricity works, conducting, tech, yeah, and, con- and seeing how you can actually you know, build things from scratch. Yes, um, of course. It w- it was in terms of the creative aspect, but um, it's quite a shame to see that drop um, over the past few years. Do you know, just just on that very point again with design technology. You know, the, the teachers gave you so much freedom at that time. For example, I started making mine from wood first, and and I was like, I want to make it you know, make it look uh, have a more modern look, but in a wood, in wood style. So I used plywood, and I tried bending it as um, into a U shape. But it cracked, and then I was told, you know, put it in water and leave it there for a couple of days, and then slowly build it. And but when I when it came out, I was like, I'd rather make it acrylic. I will make it because I want to put something in front of it now. 
and then the teachers like yes you can go ahead and the freedom which which we had in thinking and designing it was from from a to z it was the students taught and by the teachers were always there to assist even though they knew what's going to mm-hmm. happen they were like okay you try and see what happens yeah i remember i remember the in terms of the experiments and creating things that was really that was like fun and creative but i'm not too sure with the exam perspective i think i always found that to be more challenging because uh, the exams for that uh, design and technology was quite hard um because it involved a lot of um learning a lot of of course adapting but nevertheless it was it was great and it was great uh, in terms that i'm i'm glad that i had picked it um i don't remember too much of uh, in terms of what design or what project i had undertaken because that um, that was like over 10 years ago or so um but i think it was something to do with creating a alarm or so, some sort wow. um but yeah anyways um swiftly moving on swiftly moving on the keynote address of his holiness highlighting the importance of education i remember this um because i was present during that occasion hazur his holiness uh, the worldwide head of the md muslim community the fifth caliph his holiness hazrat mirza masur ahmed may allah be his helper he delivered a keynote address on the 8th of october 2019 at the united nations educational scientific and cultural organization um also known as unesco headquarters in paris where he spoke about education he spoke about uh, the principles of mm-hmm. education he states that certainly we believe that access to education is key to breaking the cycle of poverty that has plagued economically weak countries for generations we learn this from the holy prophet of islam peace and blessings of allah be upon him who urged muslims to fund the education of vulnerable members of society such as orphans the prophet of islam peace and blessings of allah be upon him established an excellent education system through which the intellectual standards of that society were raised literate and well educated people were instructed to teach the illiterate special measures uh, were put in place to provide education to orphans and other vulnerable members of society this was all done so that the weak and powerless could stand on their own two feet and advance The Holy Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be upon him offered to release those prisoners of war who were literate on condition they first taught illiterate members of society how to read and write. In this way many centuries ago the Prophet of Islam peace and blessings of Allah be upon him established a very successful model for the rehabilitation and reintegration into society of prisoners which benefited society at large. So these were the principal core message of his speech and how from the very early islam how the holy prophet peace and blessings be upon him how much he focused um on teaching those that were unable to read or write so much so that the the people that were the prisoners of war they were released on the condition that if you are able to teach those who are illiterate then you will be released yes you know in in regards to that <clears throat> sorry my voice just broke up there i do apologize you know in regards that in the time of islam uh, when the when the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam peace and blessings of allah be upon him you know uh, in that early is um, even before islam was as, as known as islam um at the time only 16 people were literate and who were able to for example read and write and one of them was uh, the second caliph of islam has umar bin al-khattab so 16 people only were able to read and write you know from that you can see um how much focus his holy um our blabber prophet put 
on education from from the get go. You know, as you just mentioned, if you want, to, if a prisoner wanted to be released, and if he if he was literate, they, they, he was like, okay, please teach one of our fellow Muslim brothers who are illiterate, and then you yes, you are released from my side. Yeah. And you know, in in regards to this, um, one more thing uh, about acquiring knowledge. His holy, um, his the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him said, acquiring knowledge and teaching it to the people is learning dignity and tranquility. So this is from from the very get go. Islam has been focusing on education, so you know, for a better society to be established. You know, to take this um, conversation even further, we have with us our first guest, Louis Hodge. Um, a representative from the Educational Policy Institute. The Education Policy Institute is an independent, impartial and evidence-based research, research institute that aims to promote high-quality education outcomes for all children and young people, regardless of their background. With this short introduction, I would like to welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. How are you, Lewis? very well thank you how are you thank you so much for us i'm very well myself you know lewis um wanted to ask the what key challenges in secondary education do you believe need urgent attention and reform sure so i think uh three three key things that i think really need some some focus and some attention mm-hmm. so first of all we've got kind of uh inequality of outcomes so we've seen um, there was some progress being made here, so that this is pupils um, that are from more disadvantaged backgrounds tend to be uh, quite far behind their peers, they're more well-off peers by the by the end of, of secondary school. So they're kind of 19 months, we find they're 19 months behind um, their kind of more well-off peers by the end of secondary school. And wow. the pandemic, you know, we were making some progress until the pandemic, and then the pandemic has started to unwind some of that progress that's been made. So some renewed focus on uh, on that would be uh, fantastic. Uh, another thing is the, the actually getting people into school. So um, absence, again, after the pandemic has become a, an increasing problem. So now, uh, you know, before the pandemic, one, which is not great still, but one in six uh, pupils were missing more than 10% of school. That's now one in four. So um, there's lots of reasons for that absence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there needs to be a lot more attention in exactly uh, you know, what are the causes of that and how do we start addressing that? And then the final thing I'll just come in with is um, I think we also need to look at um, the accountability framework. So that includes um, kind of the role of Ofsted, but it also in, it includes how we actually um, judge school through things like performance yes. tables. And I think you've already been talking about uh, the narrowing of the curriculum. So do we create first incentives um, mm-hmm. for that curriculum to be narrowed down um, so, Lewis, I'm sorry, uh, I just want to ask you regarding the absence. You, you mentioned before pandemic, it was one in six, but now it has come to one in four. So, if you can let our listeners know, what are some of the reasons that students are not attending schools anymore? Sure. I mean, I think there's probably a whole whole, whole range of things and to, to kind of sum up in one, mm-hmm. I don't know. But I think, I think there's definitely been a problem getting some certain pupils back to school after panic. Some pupils become used to not being in school and then getting them um, to go to go back to school has been difficult um, in, in certain circumstances. Um, and how can we actually um, encourage them and, of course, um, their, their parents and what have you to uh, encourage them back into the school system? And that requires 
Uh, that requires support from, from schools, but it's not just schools. We can't expect schools to go around and, and, and knock on every child's door um, and get them into school. So that requires a bit more of a kind of a broader approach yes. across the system in how we address that. So obviously I want to add into this, um, for example, we have such great technology in the 21st century. If someone, for example, if one of the students um, is reluctant or is scared um, due to the pandemic situation, uh, are reluctant to go back, is there a way to teach, um, for example, a class of people from home so they can at least have some kind of education? Sure. I mean, obviously we saw um, through the pandemic, um, teachers and schools did, did a, a great job of kind of doing that kind of online uh, learning but I think the important thing to re- to kind of think about here is that there are still um, barriers so internet is still a barrier mm-hmm. uh, we know that o- around um, half of pupils don't have their own device that they can act they would be able to access a- an online lesson for example so whilst this technology is out there and some of it's really great it's can can the pupils that that need it actually access it and ultimately having children um, in the classroom uh, somewhere where, where it can, you know, we know that they are safe and we know they are learning mm-hmm. um, is always going to be um, the best place for it's a, it, As you mentioned regarding um, classrooms and it's a safe environment for teaching, so can you share an insight on effective strategies for example for improving teaching quality in secondary education? Sure, I mean, so we, I mean it's kind of, I guess, well, well known that there's a, there's a kind of a fairly big workforce crisis in in in, in schools um, and so to kind of think about that and to have high quality teachers in that in that system mm-hmm. we need to think about how do we attract teachers to, the, to, to teach mm-hmm. um, people to go into teaching how to, to kind of retain them so they don't leave and then how can we actually once they're in the teaching profession train them and, and, and ensure that they are um, getting better um, and, and we know that that this is something that um, certainly the all of these things is something we're uh, struggling to do. We know that so of the teachers that qualified five years ago, um, only 69% of them are still uh, teaching and, and almost 15% of them left after just one year. So it's a real struggle to actually um, get uh, teachers in the door and, and then to, to, to retain them. And this becomes a particular problem for kind of specialist subjects. So um, you can imagine a, a kind of a secondary school, if you're teaching something like physics, let's say, it's quite important that you have a teacher that has expertise in that subject. And if you end up with a teacher that doesn't, that can uh, that can be hard for uh, students to be learning kind of in, in the most effective kind of ways. Um, and there is, the government has now kind of uh, introduced some of the kind of levelling up premiums, which are premiums for kind of early career teachers, particularly in these kind of shortage subjects. Um, but I think we would be looking for that to be expanded across kind of older uh, and more experienced teachers um, so that they can be kind of retained uh, in the system. But we also just need to think more generally about pay. So are there, you know, we've we've seen that the kind of the parity between teacher pay and salaries is, is kind of been falling in comparison to kind of other occupations that you think that teachers might uh, be able to go into. And so making sure that teaching is something that... Um, pays well uh, and is an attractive uh, profession uh, to work in and that of course also comes back to things like well-being of teachers the workload they have 
So yes, um, um, Lewis. So what can um, the schools do to have a safe environment for the teachers um, them themselves, so they can teach? And even though you have just mentioned, even um, as you mentioned, fifteen percent leave after first year. How can we retain those fifteen percent um, with um, with better pays? Sure. I mean, of course, um, as I say, the better pay is, is maybe one thing, but I think also um, thinking about you know what is the what is the workload on those. On those teachers so and that may be coming back to the, the technology point you know are there you know there's technology that maybe helps pupils to learn mm-hmm. but there's also potentially some technology that can that's out there that can kind of start helping with um as you know taking some workload off teachers um which which means they have more time to do kind of the, the teaching and less of the background admin which is uh, probably the kind of less uh, enjoyable part of the job for many teachers. Mm-hmm. So, um, Lewis, uh, for example, you just mentioned about the admin work, which is a bit l- less uh, pleasing for the teachers. How can the technology help them in that regard so they can focus on more, um, focus, uh, focus more on the teaching side? Sure. So, I mean, there's um, kind of, and this kind of, I guess, booms quite a lot during the pandemic, but there's now a lot more kind of uh, online uh, resources that, that teachers can kind of access for planning lessons or um, that that kind of uh, element of the job. I mean, some things are never going to be uh, kind of got rid of entirely, certainly not in the, the near term. So one thing that, that we know might be an issue, partly in the kind of uh, retention and the competition for teachers from, from other industries is the ability, certainly post-pandemic, for um, other people to work flexibly so to do more homeworking and things like that and at the moment that's really hard um, for teachers to be doing um, and so I think that's going to change in the kind of immediate term but maybe mm-hmm. over the longer term we'll see that that enables you know, teaching to become a more attractive uh, kind of pro- uh, prospect for, for people looking. Lewis in your opinion um, what role should standardised testing play in assessing student performance and informing education policies? Uh, so I think standardised testing is uh, really important. It's obviously something that's um, been in the system for a long time uh, because it it, you know, it allows us to directly compare um, different things, and that can mean we can compare schools. It also allows us to kind of understand the impacts of policy and measure things. So I you know, I can uh, talk to you as I, I mentioned earlier about the kind of gap between the kind of more disadvantaged and more more well-off pupils and how there are differences in their attainment unless we we are able to kind of do standardised testing, um, we wouldn't be able to uh, make those observations and we wouldn't be able to start thinking about how we can address those. Um, and of course, that means that then when we do try and address them and we policy is put in place, we can then start understanding how well or, or not so well that policy might be working. But I think there's also um, quite important to remember um, that we don't want to uh, just focus on standardised testing. It's not the only goal um, of education is to is not purely to get um, grades, um, and so back to the earlier point around uh, curriculum narrowing. You know, it is also important that we start thinking about a wider set of uh, uh, different measures that we can use. So at the moment, we're very focused on things like um, the progress eight measure. Or, or the attainment eight measure. So these right. are things that look at just eight subjects rather than a, a much broader um, set. So we should be thinking probably more about um, how we how we go about looking at these things. 
Yep. And just finally, Lewis, uh, what measures does the Institute propose to enhance inclusive inclusivity and diversity in secondary education settings? So I think here's I'm building building on what I was just saying is yep. um, we want to kind of uh, move away a little bit from just being worried about uh, schools. So can we look at other metrics and other things that we might kind of be judging a good education system on? And if we start measuring those things and thinking about those things, then I think the natural uh, kind of progression from there is to is to start um, you know, schools maybe thinking uh, more seriously about what they are doing in that space. And when the things I'm thinking about here are, you know, uh, how representative is an intake in a school? So does a, the, do the pupils that school take in look like um, a kind of a diverse and uh, set of, of people right. from different backgrounds? You know, do we have, uh, is the school setting inclusive? There's a bit of a, there's quite a big problem at the moment of, of what we would call off-rolling. So this is education settings. Um, they're basically uh, taking pupils off their school role Um and we don't always know exactly why. Um, there's not uh, if, if they just get taken off and we don't know what happens to them, that's quite problematic. So yeah. you know, if we start looking at that and, and, and thinking about what, you know, can we identify where that's happening, um, that will naturally help the whole system become a bit more inclusive and safer for all of those uh, pupils. Great. Thank you, Lewis, uh, for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on, uh, on our show today. Thank you once again. Thank you very much. So this was Lewis um, speaking in regards of the secondary education system, how we can improve it also. You know, one thing I was surprised, Noshirwan, when he mentioned, you know, that before pandemic was one point one over one in six students were not attending school, but now it has changed to one in four. And then I remembered, you know, a a passage of of of, of the Prophet Messiah upon whom be peace the awaited Mahdi it's in regards of religion um, what he has stated but it it has a very significant um, ending to that also and I would like to mention it to our listeners also you know the Prophet Messiah stated in short in the practice of education it ought to be considered and especially remembered that religious education should begin from the very beginning I have always had a desire that this is the case even now, may Allah fulfill this wish. Observe how your neighboring nations, such as the Aryas, have given importance to education. They have accumulated hundreds of thousands of rupees, if not more, to construct a magnificent, magnificent building for a college and its necessities. If the Muslims do not take a keen interest in the education of their children, then they should Take heed that a time will come when even their children will be lost to them. So it's very important as what His, His Holiness mentioned when He was addressing the Muslims. So if we are not being interest, in, interested in the education of our children, there will be a time that there will be a lost, lost cause in this paraphrasing here. So education is very important. Likewise, you know, His uh, Holiness, the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mizabashiruddin Mahmood, Ahmad, may Allah have mercy on him. Uh, he stated this um, that you know, 
when he was um, addressing the youth at that, of that time. You know, a nation cannot be reformed without the reformation of its youth. So if you're not educating the youth, we're not teaching them, how can they reform the nation when it, when the time comes? So yeah. this, is, this is one thing <coughs> we should always remember. Yeah, I mean, uh, education is a is a root cause to alleviate a lot of the problems or quite a lot of problems that the world is facing. Mm-hmm. And poverty is one of them. Um, because if you provide education <coughs> to those people that are poor, um, and if they are actually paying attention to the education provided to them, then that will be a means for them to um, grow up, uh, work in a job um, which which is suitable for them, mm-hmm. and of course provide for their families. Um, so of course this was one of the uh, the principles or one of the outlined mission of Islam is of course providing uh, education to those that are less fortunate, those that are um, are suffering poverty. And of course, if that is done, then that is one way we can eliminate poverty from the world. Mm-hmm. And of course, if we're talking about secondary education in specific, um, how are schools reforming? Should schools need to reform um, in order to um, follow the trends of society, to follow the the way we're developing and progressing in the world. Um, an article in the conversation um, provides some radical approaches to education reform. And the author of um, that article, uh, Sarah Uni, the pro- uh, professor of education, uh, believes that the pandemic has provided a perfect opportunity to rethink our education syst- uh, system. And she suggests that online learning should be fully integrated into the school system for an increasingly digital future. Um, that is one of, uh, that is what she suggests, one of them. Um, she also says that through remote learning, students learn more easily, collaborate better, and focus on areas they need to concentrate on. Uh, finally, tech access for disadvantaged children should be prioritized. Then, um, of course, there's a subject of flexible schooling. Um, Sarah states that research has indicated positive academic results from such flexible schooling. This is where basically students spend um, time in school, but also learns at home. So it's more of school time as well as learning at home time as well. Children can follow their interests and needs while also keeping touch with school structure. Of but course, that, that's the, really important. That's important because, of course, from school you can learn discipline, you can learn uh, how the school actually runs and how you, of course, sitting with other students and engaging with them, that's another skill set that you're learning throughout your school life. And, of course, if it was just homeschooling, then you will be missing out from that um, Indeed, you know, aspect. With schools, when you when you enter school and you see that area, you know, sometimes for a child, it's very daunting sometimes when you just enter, you're like, what's going to happen? But when you start opening up, talking to people, you're socialising with um, your fellow peers uh, um, in that very school, then you have to set up skills which can um, put you um, ahead of us, um, other people sometimes when it comes to getting a job, when you're able to speak uh, in such a manner. Yep. Further, the author of, of um, the article, Sarah Uni, she says that schools should stay towards a more personalised curriculum. So it shouldn't be that every student follows the whole year curriculum Rather, it should be more focused on the interests and the creativity of every in individual students. Um, students should be uh, assessed continuously to more effectively capture their learning. The assessment process should be a mix of spoken, practical, online, 
coursework and controlled assessment that would be better. She cites that UNESCO for their work that shows that assessments provide a more rounded picture of a student's varied abilities and can encompass aspects such as uh, perseverance and collaboration. She further says that the curriculum needs to be reviewed to broaden out its content. For example, the new curriculum for Wales has six areas of learning and three cross-curriculum uh, themes. Um, these help learners to develop wider skills like critical thinking and problem-solving, planning and organisation and creativity. Schools, she also states that in, in, in an article that schools should also be able to link with businesses and other organisations in order to focus on skills, green energy, the creative industries, uh, manufacturing, food and hospitality, for instance. So of course, these are just um, her suggestions in terms of how schools can be reformed in the current day and age. Do you know, if, um, Nashima, if you just take what, she, um, uh, what the article has suggested into real life situations, um, for, for example, the last very point in, in, in regards to linking with a business, and you know, if you're learning in, uh, about the real life while you're even studying, you you have a glimpse. Okay, what's going to happen ahead? So your mindset thinks about in such such a way. If you, for example, want to go into a um, career in hospitality or um, having a greener energy, you start thinking how that um, company is operating and how can I uh, become a person or an individual in that company a useful asset a useful, for that. useful asset for them and then you start thinking about new ways new ideas and then your brain starts rolling in with great ideas and it, what she has suggested is really good however if you look on the other side as Lewis has mentioned there that takes quite a lot of effort on teachers to provide a catered a um, curriculum for the students they already have such tough hours or beforehand um, how can they in this in, in climate do that work for them so there are two sides of the coin we have to look one side how we can become better in the future but uh, stage is uh, about today as Lewis has mentioned as we need more teacher meet more teachers even in the first year 15% of the teachers leave um, teaching work to go somewhere else because of some tougher environments they are facing and tougher timings they are facing in the education system at the moment so that needs to better out so these um, areas, if they get ironed out, ironed out, and then this gets implemented on top of it, then yes, you know, we can have a better education system. Yeah, and I think Saad, one thing um, living here in the UK or even Western countries, we might take for granted is actually the education system. Like we are fortunate that mm -hmm. we are able to um, achieve and attain education um, up to a very high standard, up to obviously the university and beyond. Um, if you if you want to pursue that, um, and we're fortunate in that sense. I mean, around the world, there's many countries uh, where so many children are deprived of this blessing of actually being able to learn and go to school. Um, that could also be due to their circumstances, um, due to the lack of um, education system in their countries. Could be due to poverty, etc. Mm -hmm. um, of course, so we got we first and foremost need to be. Um, grateful for for this blessing of course um and just here i would like to narrate a hadith a saying of the holy prophet uh, peace and blessings of allah be upon him that he narrated it was narrated by a companion of the holy prophet of islam peace and blessings of allah be upon him uh, ibn mas'ud narrates that he says that i heard the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam peace and blessings of allah be upon him saying there is no envy except in two 
a person who God has given wealth and he spends it in the right way and a person whom Allah has given wisdom i.e. religious knowledge and he gives his decisions accordingly and teaches it to the others. This is taken from uh, one of the most authentic books of uh, narration, Sahih al-Bukhari. Um, and it's very clear in this that a person that Allah has granted wisdom and knowledge um, and he gives decisions in the right manner appropriately um, according to his knowledge and understanding um, then of course people are like sort of jealous and envy him and are like they look up to him because of the wisdom and knowledge he's been granted and that's not a narration um, um, which the holiness uh, which the prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him mention is regarding you know the ink of a scholar and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, states, you know, the ink of a of the scholar is more sacred than the blood of the martyr. You know, how much weight he has put on education, how much weight he has put on um, learning and teaching, is such vast that we should, you know, we should start thinking about how we can get the education um, throughout the world. As you mentioned, you know, we are living, we are very fortunate. Uh, to be living in the Western uh, Western country and Western society where education system is part of the society, how can we take that system and give it throughout the world also so everyone gets education. Even Islam has been teaching that for, for the past 1400 years, education is key. Um, but there's an unfortunate sign in some countries where education is still a very sacred thing. So, and likewise, uh, there's another narration of um, Abu Huraira, the Messenger of Allah, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, However, whoever takes a path upon which to obtain knowledge, Allah makes the path to paradise easy for him. And you know, this is such a beautiful, um, beautiful um, saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Whoever tries and obtain knowledge, Allah makes his path easier to paradise. So, you know, the emphasis, I'm mentioning this over and over again, that emphasis on education is really important in, in in Islam to learn and to teach. You know, um, there's another saying, right? The person among you is the best who learns the Quran and teaches the Holy Quran. And I just remembered from that also, when the prophecy started coming, uh, when um, when the Holy Prophet, وسلم, uh, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, um, was um, when when Hazrat Jibreel uh, came to him and says Iqra read and he said I cannot read and that this happened three times and he said Iqra bismillahirrahmanirrahim and um, read in the name of thy Lord who has created you so so from the very get go of Islam it says uh, it was about the read and uh, read um, uh, and read right so yep. we should be able to um, teach and um, be able to give the education to the people around us and be um, anywhere and so that's why we should think about how we can um, make it better for um, the education system to work in the 21st century where we have so much technology available yep so of course the um, education system has been progressing um, from over, over a decade or so um, it has been over a century rather it's developed into the system that we see now and even within this system, mm-hmm. we see that it's progressing. New policies regarding education is set out. Um, every country, of course, they have an education minister who is responsible for the education system within that country. Um, and of course, when I speak about my time 
uh, when I was going through the ed- uh, secondary education system, it was much different to as it is now. Um, right. Before, in terms of grading, it was different. In terms of the subjects we had to choose, um, it was different. Like, of course, uh, when I was doing uh, my GCSEs in secondary school, um, there was no. I wasn't obliged uh, to take um, a language as a GCSE, but now picking uh, at least one language that has become compulsory, um, history, geography, either one of them that is also um, needs to be part of GCSE. That wasn't the case. That's why I was able to uh, choose more creative subjects such as like IT, media, uh, design and technology, which I had more interest in. And but now I don't know. Maybe it's more restrictive in that sense. Um, you are obliged to take certain topics, not because they're topics which you may not like, but I think for general understanding, uh, for general betterment of the society, those topics are important. Of course, learning a language is very important. Indeed. And had I the opportunity to learn a language and go back and pick what as a pick it as a GCSE, then perhaps I would do so, mm-hmm. because now I understand the significance of learning a language. Um, before I, maybe I wasn't like well aware, or I thought that why do I need to learn another language? Uh, I'm happy with knowing English or Urdu, the whatever languages um, that are suitable for me. Um, but of course, the the system itself um, it is changing in that sense that um, students are given the opportunity uh, to make to pick their um, subjects, etc. Uh, but it's just a question about whether we're changing um, quickly as how quick the the technology and the advancement is happening. Um, of course, that's obviously governments do look mm. into it and do make policies uh, to ensure that the students learning, they are able to focus more on what is required um, in the day and age. Mm-hmm. So just to mention another one more narration, obviously, it's Voice of Islam. It's one more point uh, in regards to that, that it has been narrated by Anas bin Malik. May Allah be pleased with him. That, you know, the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said this, who goes seeking um, knowledge, then he is in Allah's cause until he returns. You know, so when if someone, when someone goes in the cause for learning something, he is in and Allah's command in that time during that time till he comes back again and you know this is so beautiful you know that's why the emphasis on educational and knowledge has been put so much that you know these hadiths or the narrations emphasize the you know, significance of acquiring knowledge and you know, teaching others and the elevate, um, elevated um, status of the scholars in Islam and, you know they highlight the seeking knowledge is not only a personal duty but also a um, a means of benefiting others and contributing positively uh, positively towards society. So it helps a society to become better when you go seek knowledge and when you go teach people about the knowledge knowledge you have gained. Yep, and of course, um, obviously, we do face challenges in terms of education, etc. So, in order to observe the desired outcome from reforms, we must first address the challenges we face. As schools funding cu- cuts, so of course Lewis, as we spoke to earlier, he also mentioned uh, certain challenges the world, uh, the education system is facing. Um, so we also need to tackle the intense workload of staff, which makes it much harder to hire teachers and keep them. Of course, Lewis mentioned as well how teachers, um, after a year, sixty nine percent of them remain 
in teaching, whilst the other 31%, they obviously choose a different career or just leave um, the teaching job itself. Um, and that is at times it could be because of the admin side of teaching, which is more hard mm-hmm. uh, rather than just the teaching aspect. They might enjoy the teaching aspect, but maybe they cannot keep up with the admin work. Um, so maybe that's one aspect that can be looked into is the workload on the staff. And Alison Stoker writes in New Thinking that schools face many social challenges that weigh too heavily on their very limited sources. Um, educational policy makers need to be in tune with society's needs. Um, we've mentioned this earlier as well, that of course we, we're growing and progressing. The world is progressing very rapidly in terms of technology, in terms of sciences, Great. in terms of intellectuality. Uh, we're progressing at a rapid speed. So, of course, our policies in terms of education also need to um, progress in, this, in the same way. Uh, I remember seeing a, a picture on social media um, it was about like 20 years ago, a, a, a setting of the classroom, how students are sitting on desk in front of them, chairs, um, and a teacher at the front speaking to them. And um, t- students have their hand raised. And fast forward to today, 20 years on or 30 years on, it's the same case. Students are sitting in the same classroom, same chairs, same desk, and with teacher teaching them, maybe the only thing that has changed is they've got a instead of a blackboard, they've got a smart projector board or some sort of that. Mm-hmm. But have we progressed enough that we haven't progressed enough so that we can make there's been a change in the classroom in terms of how technology is developed, but we're still in that same setting. Um, how, how so how have teaching. we progressed, right? Indeed. So you know, taking this, um, His Holiness. Um, had a keynote address at, at the UNESCO headquarters in Paris, as you mentioned before, and I would like to play a small audio in what His Holiness had to say in regards to education. Islam established the rights of women and girls for the first time. At a time when women and girls were discriminated against and often looked down upon, the Prophet of Islam instructed his followers to ensure that girls were educated and respected. Indeed, he said that if a person had three daughters who they educated and guided in the best way, they would be sure to enter paradise. It is contrary to the extremists' claim that a violent jihad and the slaughter of non-Muslims will take a person to heaven. Yet, the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing will be upon him, taught that the way to enter heaven was by educating and instilling moral values within girls. Based upon the teachings, Ahmadi Muslim girls across the world are educated and are excelling in various fields. They are becoming doctors, teachers, architects, and entering other professions through which they can serve humanity. We ensure that girls are given equal access to education as boys. Hence, the literacy rate of Ahmadi Muslim girls in the developing world is at least 99%. 
Besides education, Islam was the religion that first gave women the right to inheritance. So these were the words of His Holiness in regards to education and what Islam has been teaching for the past 1400 years. And as we look at the time at the moment, Nasharan, we are heading towards the end of today's show again. And uh, first of all, well, thank you. Before we conclude today's show, thank you for presenting it's with me. It's my pleasure joining you once and again, Saad. producers, Sophia Amir, Madiha Nasir and Nabahad Nayara for, for, for producing the shows and also Brother Armagan in the tech department for helping us today. And now moving on towards the conclusion, you know, His Holiness... Said, the Quran throws light upon science, history, economics and so much more. It teaches us about human rights, such as the rights of women, the rights of the poor and deprived and the rights of the children. The Quran educates us about family matters and about fulfilling the rights of one another. In truth, all types of knowledge are contained within the Holy Quran. Do not waste the golden educational um, educational opportunities, but instead grasp them and seek to achieve excellence in your chosen field of interest, whether it is science or other subjects. So these were the words of His Holiness. So we should be trying to whatever we are feeling um, about and um, what field we want to go to, we should excel in that field and try to be the best in that very field. And hopefully that, you know, education system can provide us that opportunity so we can have um, better youngsters in the in the future yeah definitely and just, just concluding points from me that I think it's very important um, to look at what uh, His Holiness has mentioned here that of course Quran contains all knowledge in regards to every aspect of life and uh, it should be as Muslims it should be our fundamental um, focus that we Correct. should pay attention to the Holy Quran. We should read the words of the Holy Quran and ponder upon its meanings. Um, and of course, if we don't know the Arabic language, we should learn its translation mm-hmm. and read uh, read a bit translations. Because at the end of the day, that what Hazur had, his Holiness had mentioned that all types of knowledge are contained within the Holy Quran. And we find that um, Muslim scientists they have actually learned whatever the understanding is from the Holy Quran itself. Perfect. Until next time, next Tuesday, we'll meet again. Till then, assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you.